0: not a few of the commentators that I've been reading for the last few months as I prepared to preach through the book of Ruth, not a few of them tell us, as we read their commentaries, that the main purpose of the book of Ruth is to furnish us, uh, or the main purpose of the book of Ruth was to furnish the original audience with a genealogy for King David. That was, they say, the goal of the book of Ruth. That's why it was written. To give a background to the genealogy of King David. But I think that is a, an, a great understatement. Of what the book of Ruth is all about. Yes, it gives us the background of the genealogy of King David. But if the goal was, and you wouldn't be surprised to know that most of these commentators they say that say this, they are of the modern variety, they are of the, uh, the postmodern kind. But if that was the goal of the book of Ruth, why is it that it takes so long to give us to give us that genealogy? In other places, we get that genealogy in the Book of Chronicles, for instance, in just a couple of verses. So certainly, because we believe in the divine inspiration of the Book of Ruth, there is more to the Book of Ruth than just giving us a genealogy, a background story. Uh, Or there's more than just a romantic uh, love story, as some call it. And there is a love story, a beautiful love story in this passage. There is something more to do with the book of Ruth than just a genealogy or a love story. I believe that the book of Ruth is a... a uh, A storehouse, a treasure house or a treasure store, a a reservoir of magnificent lessons that are real tonics for the soul of every Christian who reads them. It is a story about the providence of God. It is a book all about, not a story, a book all about looking at life. Seemingly common, seemingly inconsequential, a Bethlehemite family that had to leave to, to Moab. But looking at a seemingly inconsequential story through the, the, the lenses and the eyes of the almighty God is to see that behind every frowning providence I know I quoted from this hymn last week but I think it is the most fitting hymn for at least for the beginning of the book of Ruth that behind every frowning providence he hides a smiling face and the book does begin and I know we've done section from verse 1 to verse 5 last week but again we we come to the beginning of the book and it says now it came to pass it was not by chance it came to pass, it was appointed for something to happen. It's not a combination of fortuitous and, and random events that have happened in the life of, of this Bethlehemite family. There is an all ruling link, divine providence in all the things that have happened in the beginning of the book of Ruth. Yes, even in as we see this widow, Naomi, going through this heart-wrenching, perhaps the most... Heart-wrenching, uh, saddest story uh, and record in the Scripture. I don't believe there is any situation in the in the Bible that overcomes or that surpasses the tragedy of Naomi's situation. There are some that perhaps come close or even are on par with it, but cannot help but feel sorry and feel your heart go out to this woman. All that she went through, the situation that she found herself in. We are told that we are to see these things. In this book, we are told that, the, that we are to see all these things through the lens of the Almighty God who in His divine providence He rules and He arranges everything for the good of, of those who love Him. Shall there, shall there be evil in the city? And the Lord not has done it. All things the times, the seasons, the, 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 the times of, of prosperity and the times of, of need and poverty, the famines, all things are under his awesome control. And everything is by his appointment. He controls everything from the, the most lofty of events. The most significant of events in human history to the life of a sparrow, to a hair falling from your head, is controlling everything. And therefore the psalmist in Psalm 107 says, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the Loving kindness of the Lord. They will understand the the kindness of God. There is a need to exercise wisdom in marking things, in understanding things, in observing things. So that we would understand God's gracious dispensation in his providence. so that we can confess with the Apostle Paul that all things work together for good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Last week, as I said, we considered the the three deaths that happened in Naomi's life, the three tombstones in Moab that were left there, this heart-wrenching story In today's text, we consider three widows at the crossroads of their lives. They have so much in common in their shared grievances and sorrows as they have in contrasting features in how they handle their fortunes in the providence of God. Our text speaks to us about three widows and three conversations that happened between them the first conversation and this is a mark of the uh, or a feature in the book of Ruth there is a lot of dialogue and we are meant to to pause in the dialogue and see these things the first exchange the first dialogue is uh, is introduced to us in verse 6 we read that she heard Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. There is a remembrance. God is here mentioned for the first time in the book of Ruth. In all, God is mentioned uh, 23 times, I believe, in the book of Ruth by the author. Two times God is mentioned uh, in, uh, in action, as, prov- as doing something. And interestingly enough, it's the bookends of the book uh, of Ruth. He's mentioned... Here in verse 6, as giving bread to the people. And later on in chapter 4, we'll get there. I don't want to spoil the the end of the, the book for you. But it is mentioned as God giving a son to Ruth, to Naomi. So God is portrayed in the book of Ruth as a God who is good, who does good, who blesses his people. These are the bookends of the story We are told here that God, in his, after having visited Israel, with, or withdrawn from Israel, from Bethlehem, the house of bread, he now visited, visits his people by giving them bread. God remembers his mercy. And we are here faced with the reality in Scripture that the same hand that wounds is the same hand that heals That the same God who disciplines and chastises is the same hand that restores. The same God who sends a famine is the God who sends bread. In the midst of this crisis, God shows the way and remembers His people and restores them. That's how we as Christians, we are to look at our Frowning providences. When we are away from the valley of blessing. When we are in the valley of Bacchae. In the valley of weeping. In the valley of of, uh, of barrenness. We are to remember that these things can and if we are gods will be transformed into valleys of blessing And notice as well, as a rebuke to many of us. It doesn't say in the text that oh the 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 weather patterns in the, in the Mediterranean changed, and therefore the, the the rain started coming into into the into Bethlehem, and that's why we have rain. Perhaps that's what happened, but for someone as Naomi. For someone as an Old Testament Israelite, they knew better. And this may this be a rebuke to us in our postmodern society? We as Christians, we are often uh, taken by by this uh, rationalism. Oh, it's all the laws of nature in motion. God had nothing to do with it. Oh, yes, I'm certain. That, if we were to analyze something of what happened in, in, uh, in Israel in the days that the judges ruled after the famine that had happened i 'm sure we would find that there was a, a prevailing wind that changed that brought uh, the rains and that brought the the, the the prosperity and the bread back. but for someone as Naomi, for someone who trusts and loves the Almighty God, who someone who knows something of of this divine creator they understand that it is all a visiting from god she knew the news came to naomi in terms of what the lord was doing not what nature had uh, concocted up in random events she understood that it was a visiting and a gift from god Naomi heard that God had visited his people. She believed, and, and she decided to turn to him, to turn back. And then we read in verse 7 uh, uh, that she, as they turned back, all the three of them, they are all together. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was. This is Moab and her two daughters-in-law with her. With her. And they went in the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her, two daughters-in-law. First of all, they say, that's it, well, let's go. We'll have nothing in this land. Moab has nothing to give besides emptiness. There is nothing here for us. Let's go back. Let's go where God is. Let's go where the people of God are. Let's go where blessing is to be found. And they stop to have a conversation. Naomi says, to Orpah and to Ruth, go, return each other to, to, to their mother's house, to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. You know that, as I said, the book of Ruth is very much about conversations and dialogues. 85 verses, more than half of those verses are dialogues. And we are meant to see something of uh, of. The goodness of God in, in ordering the, the details in all, in, and in bringing things uh, to bear for the good of those who, whom he loves in those dialogues. Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, go and go back to your mother's house. Go home. I have nothing to give you. I'm broke. I have no kids. I have no husband. I have no, no hope. Just go home. Look, I love you. And I truly believe that Naomi had a a, a profound love for for these women. I appreciate that you're willing to go with me to, to my land. But this is not a good idea. And she prays for them. And she prays for them. She says, the Lord, deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. And here introduces a, 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 a term that is so important. This term that is translated as kindly is the term chesed. And I know in the past I've spoken to you about this term chesed. The loving kindness is often translated. It is a term that is so close to the, to the love of God as a sovereign. She prays for them. That God would deal with chesed with them. That God would deal in mercy and kindness. In the Bible when it is talking about uh, how, who God is. Uh, Often times in the Old Testament you find the, these two statements going together. The, love, the Lord is abounding in steadfast love and truth. In chesed and truth. It is a, a mark of who God is. He is a God that abounds in steadfast love. And here uh, Naomi prays that Ruth and Orpah would receive the loving kindness, would, would be dealt with uh, in, in kindly with Hesed by God. One of the features, one of the sub-stories that you find in the book of Ruth is that there, are, there is some prayer happening in the book of Ruth. And one of the most beautiful things is that all the prayers prayed in Ruth get answered positively, get fulfilled. One might ask, why pray? You've just spoken about how God is sovereign and does everything uh, as he pleases. And, and, and if he's sovereign, why do you pray? Why shouldn't I pray if God is sovereign? If I know that he's in control of everything and that he is good, that he will help, that he will undertake. That's why we should Brothers and sisters, pray to God because we believe that He is a God who is involved, who is capable, who is able, and is willing to help. So Naomi prays, has made God deal with you with a Seth. It is a summation of who God is, His love, His blessing, His kindness. She says, My prayer for you. Orpah and Ruth, is that the Lord would be kind to you. I cannot give you anything. I have nothing to give you. And even here, there is a confession by, by, by Naomi, isn't there? And now, there is a few points of rebuke in Naomi, a few points that we will look in a moment uh, with Naomi. But even here, there is a recognition by Naomi That even if you go to Moab, ladies, even if you go to to back to your to your mother's house, even there in Moab, my God, the God of Israel, He is sovereign to bless you there. He is able. He is not only God in Israel; He is the God of Israel. But He is not only God in Israel. He is God all over the world. He is God of all the places. He is a God abounding in Hesed, and may he deal with kindness with you. There is only another person in the book of Ruth that is uh, connected to with this term, kindness, Chesed, and that is Ruth. God, because he is the God of Hesed, the God of goodness, he is a good God. And Ruth, because she models in her character and in her choices the very attributes of goodness of God the lord grant that you may find rest she says each of you in the house of your husband that they would marry again that they would be able to 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 have a family again to have uh, Uh, children to make babies and to have life a life that is better than the prospects of them going into into Jerusalem Naomi basically saying to them look if you come with me there is nothing there to uh, awaiting you that is better we're widows I'm old I cannot give you children you're Moabites they don't like Moabites in Israel You will have a tough time there. You will have a hard time there. And then we read on. So she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices. And they cried. And they wept. They've been through a lot. They've stood at one another's side. In the funerals of their husbands. Three funerals they endured together, these three widows. Naomi is telling them, go home, I will, I'll never see you again, but I will pray for you. But they say, no, we won't. We'll figure this out together. There is something here. There is something here. Of an example of what a good Christian household should look like. There was something of what they saw in the house of... of um, of Elimelech and of, of Naomi, something of that house that captivated Orpah and Ruth. We love each other. There goes that, uh, that stereotype that uh, mothers-in-laws and, and daughters-in-laws don't get well together. It is not the case in this good household they loved each other, so much so that as we get to verse 11 and see the second exchange, we find that Naomi refers to them as daughters. They were not her daughters-in-law, the wives of, their, of her sons. No, they had become, over the process of time, over the 10 years that they had been in, in Moab, they had become her daughters. There was a sense of love. There was a sense of belonging, of togetherness. That should be the norm in, in our marriages as Christians, in our Christian households. This should be the norm. The moment your son-in-law marries your daughter, he's no longer your son-in-law. He's your son. The moment your daughter-in-law marries your son, he's no longer she no longer is your daughter in law she is your daughter and that's that's something of the love that naomi here has for them she says no go back i have nothing to offer i'm too old even if i were to marry there are probably no chances that i'm going to have more children and even if i had children would you wait until i could give you them to you as a husband if I should say I have hope, even if I should say that I can have a husband this night and bear children, would you wait until they are all grown up? I have nothing for you, Naomi says. I love you very much, but you need to move on with your life. You need to go back. And here I think you start to see something of the, of the bitterness of Naomi of the lack of trust of Naomi in the goodness of God as she professes the second exchange. I have heard, she says, No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. As she looks at her situation and the situation of her daughters in law As she looks at the circumstances uh, that she's in, who does she blame? She says, oh, it's God. God's hand is against me. She doesn't even pause to ponder that perhaps it's her fault, her husband's fault. Seems to me that there are a lot of situations here that could be blamed for her uh, circumstances. Naomi looked at her her situation and said, in effect, this bitterness is the only reality I know, is the only thing that I can know and can be known. This is the truth. And and this situation that that I'm going through will redefine for me the concept of who God is. She does not deny that God is in control. In fact, she is quite clear. It is God that is doing this to me. And that's why I'm bitter about it. What she denies is not the sovereignty of God; that's not faulty in her in her theology. The faultiness in her theology is that she's denying the goodness of God, and that's why she's saying to Orpah and Orp- or to Ruth, "Go back to your gods. You, you'll fare well. You'll fare better uh, somewhere else." This is reverse evangelism, isn't it? As Christians, we are told that, uh, and even in the Old Testament, the, the, the goal of the people of God was to have this uh, outward looking blessing the nations. And yet here is Naomi. She's actively shooing away the Moabites because she loves them. Yes, but because she has a very flawed conception of what God, of who God is and what God is doing in our life. She does not discuss or she does not argue or, 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 or doubt that God is able to do as He pleases. But His pleasure, in, in her conception, because she is too focused in the circumstances that she is living in, her conception of who God is, is, is a conception of a God who lacks empathy. Her conception of God is dependent on the circumstances that she's going through. That's why she's bitter and she's resigned herself into this uh, almost epicurean uh, philosophy, uh, resignation that, well, it's fate. It's just what is going to happen to me. It's inevitable and, and there's nothing I can do about it. This fatalistic mentality that so often we as Calvinists can fall into as well. We often do this, don't we we not? Because of our lack of understanding. Because of our lack of uh, being able to extract ourselves from our circumstances. And look at the bigger picture. We judge God's love. We judge God's faithfulness. By how many of our desires have been met in the last couple of days. Well, certainly God has not been good to me. I've prayed for this and God has not given it to me. Life is not really going well. Financially, I'm in a desperate situation. Professionally, I have no thing to look forward to. My house is in shambles. My, my yes, this, my this, and that, and the other. And, and therefore, we, we, we doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Do we not do the same as Naomi does? Let's be honest for a moment with, uh, with ourselves. Isn't that the, s- the first sign of our backsliding? When we start to doubt the goodness of God. When we just become bitter and affected. Too often, it is not God's will that we want, is it, brothers and sisters? We don't want the will of God to be done. We want our God to conform to our will and to do the things that we want Him to do. We want our will to be made possible by God. To God to come in as this Santa Claus figure and grant us our every wish. And he wouldn't when He does not do so, oh, He's not a good God. We might not say it. Of course, we're too, too, too sophisticated to do that but we think it, and we act like it. And I'm not diminishing the, the extent of Naomi's grief. Oh, Naomi, as I said, I think even more than Job in the book, in the, in the Old Testament, even more than Job, I think Naomi uh, has a, a, a clear claim to being the most sorrowful of stories. In, the, in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. You just want to stop reading. If you really start to feel the, the pain that Naomi goes through. You, really st- you just want to stop reading the book right now in, tr- in verse 5. Is there ever any worse situation recorded for us in the Old Testament or in the New? Nonetheless, God is in control. The Puritan John Flavel, I, I quoted them this, this morning uh, in another instance, uh, John Flavel has a precious little book put out by banner of truth in the puritan paperback series it's called the mystery of providence and the puritans were one of the few group of theologians in the in the history of christianity that have dared to deal with this to 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 try and ascertain or or understand something of what i'm talking about here that there is a kind of as john flavel called it a sanctified affliction there is a kind of, of uh, affliction that is sanctified by God for us. We find it in, a, in, a, in one of the hymns, right? Sanctify to me my deepest distresses. There is something of this that, that we need to grasp as we read through the book of Ruth. That we need to grasp as we live through life as Christians. This sense of sanctified affliction. That God does use our afflictions for our good. That yes, we go through afflictions, not different from anyone else in the world. The difference for us as Christians, as sons and daughters of the Almighty God, is that we know that our afflictions are for a purpose. That ultimately the Lord will undertake and overrule those afflictions for something of good. For you and me as Christians. When we arrive at places where Naomi finds herself. And I pray we wouldn't. Because I think most of us. If we found ourselves in the same situation as Naomi is. We would be just as bitter. If not more so. We would be just as disheartened. As as Naomi is. If not more so. If the Lord did not undertake for us. when we Because... For you and me, when we find ourselves in situations like this, where life is hard, where, where, where it feels like God is, is an enemy instead of a friend, and this is what Naomi feels at this moment. She says, the Lord has turned his hand against me. We will find that we will want answers. And seldom the Lord gives us answers at that moment. Isn't it interesting when you read the book of Job and you you find that what Job goes through, you get to the end. Job never gets an answer by the end. His providence was changed. He was restored, yes, but he remained ignorant to the end of his life about why and for what reason he endured all of that. And so often that is the problem with us, isn't it? Oh, I want to know, Lord, show me. I've, I've prayed like this and I've heard people pray like this. Oh, Lord, show me why I'm going through this so that I can learn it as quickly as possible. So we can move on from this affliction. But so often the Lord does not need to show you. He's never promised he would show you why you go through afflictions and sorrows. He has promised that all of them are for good. He has promised that He is there, that He's in control. He's promised that He is good and He's sovereign. But He's never promised you that He's going to give you all the answers in this life. What He asks of you is faith, trust, even in the dark days, to believe that your suffering, that that your agony, that your affliction is not meaningless, purposeless, that your affliction is not uh, uh, without reason, that as you stand there weeping and shedding tears, suffering, bitter, despondent, yet you have hope, just like Jeremiah, that his mercies, his compassions, they fail not. That he is the God who overrules and undertakes. That he is the God who is in control of everything. And I'm going to have to rush through the third exchange because I don't want to take much more of your time. I think we've had plenty. Perhaps we'll come back to it next week. We find ultimately that at the pleadings of Naomi, Orpa, she left, she went back, and we hear nothing more about her, but here we find the first action of faith, of Ruth. She clung to her, she glued herself to, to, to Naomi, she, she, she said, do not urge me. She pours out her heart. This 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 passage that is—it's uh, wonderful when you realize that this this dialogue, this part of the dialogue that Ruth says, that is so often quoted in a wedding ceremony, but by a wife to a husband, is actually said by a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. It is—it is something of an ironic twist when you realize these things. But but what is what she says is, "Do not entreat me. Do not." urge me to leave you or to turn back from you all those things that you have asked of me to turn back to go back i won't go do not urge me to go do not worry, urge me to to find my home in my mother's house i will not lodge there i want to lodge with you do not urge me to go back to my gods you see that ruth we, we're going to have to 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 keep it Simple now and, and summarized. But Ruth is here replying to every single instance of, of the urgings of, of Naomi. Of the things Naomi was saying. Oh, go back to your house. Go back to your nation. Go, go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Again, a Jew, for, a, for a, a God-fearing believer to say this, she was really in, a, in a, not thinking straight. Let me put it this way. But she says, go back and what does Ruth say? She's answering her point by point. No, I don't, do not urge me to go back. I will stay here. I will not leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, where you, where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, and this is significant. Not for us. We really don't care about where we die and where we get buried nowadays. Still, for, in, a, in a sense, we do. Uh, there is still a sense, but more, much more so in the days of, uh, of the judges in the, in the, old, in the Middle Eastern uh, theology, land was so important, uh, not only for the Israelites, but for all the peoples around, because there was this sense that uh, my God is only ruler over, if I'm a, a, a servant of Baal, but Baal uh, that Baal is only really ruling over this piece of land and this uh, this. Region has this other god, and and then we find that Israel's god is ruler of over all the earth, and that's that's part of the the great uh, controversy of of the the god of Israel. That is not just a local god; uh, that he is the god of all the earth. Uh, but for Neo, for Ruth to say this, she says, "Well, I." I I'm changing my allegiance. I'm covenanting with you, with your people, and most importantly, with your God Jehovah. I'm covenanting. He is my God, and where you die, I will die, and I want to be buried there. I'm no longer a Moabite. For better or worse, in life or in death, to use the uh, in 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 fortune and or in poverty, would, I'm yours. I'm your daughter-in-law. In sickness or in health, I want to be of these people i 'm not longer of the gods of the Moabites. Your God, your Lord, Jehovah, is my God. So what lessons do we have here and again, I, I fully realize that i 've rushed through this last portion, but really want to get to these. Summary lessons. First of all, that God is sovereign. God the Almighty reigns in all the affairs of man. It doesn't matter if, if it's in Parliament, in, in the castle, uh, uh, in the Palace of Buckingham. It doesn't matter if it's in the Capitol in, in America, in the, in the United Nations. Uh, or if it's in your kitchen, in your living room, in your room. God is ruler over everything. He is involved in every part of life in this world. He is the God who gives rain and takes rain. He is the God who takes breath and gives breath. All things controlled by Him. And God is mysterious in His providence. God's providence is sometimes very hard. That's the second lesson. Sometimes, like Naomi, we will go through these kind of things. And we tend to devolve into this bitterness of spirit that actually it only comes because we're not thinking straight. Psalm thirty-four, nineteen says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you trust this, brother and sister? Do you trust that yes, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. There are many of missionaries who have died martyrs. there are many missionaries and ministers and Christians who have been jailed for years on end, who have suffered for doing the right thing for the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. but God delivers them out of all, out of them all. Never in the Old Testament, never in the New Testament you have a promise. Like so many Christian churches or so-called Christian churches say nowadays that if you are faithful, you will enjoy a great and wonderful life. Our Lord is the man of sorrows. Paul, 11 out of the 12 apostles, they died martyrs. Can you tell me that that, that our enjoyment of the good things of this life is dependent on our faithfulness? Our Lord died on a cross. Why should we expect to have a better or uh, an easier life? He has told us carry your cross. We are never promised to escape from affliction. But we are promised that all our afflictions are not meaningless, but they are meaningful. And the most astonishing, not to spoil the book for you. Because I know you know, if you're a Christian, you have read this story over and over again. But through Naomi's affliction, God gave the nation of Israel, the great King David. But most importantly of all, God gave humanity, the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the sin of one woman, death. And one man as well. Usually in the Bible it's the man that, that carries the, the burden. Don't, don't, don't think I'm... Through the sin or through the, the, the temptation and the falling into temptation of one woman, yes, sin entered into the world. But through the faithfulness you could say of this one woman, the Lord used it to bring salvation to the world. Even in this sin... Laden, because sinful beginning of the story. In the days of the judges, in the days that everyone did what is what was pleasing in their sight. Even when the ominous clouds of sinfulness were, were hovering so dark, God was out there shining his light. And eventually that light would shine through. Ultimately. Brother and sister, if you're a Christian, I would plead that if you are frustrated, as they say uh, at the end of your tether, angry, bitter, as Naomi is in this passage, to go to Jesus, to let Jesus, the Lord, show you that in all of your affliction, the Lord has a a good design, a perfect plan, that He... And go to the Lord. The book of Hebrews says He is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. He, He knows what it means to suffer. Because yes, I know I've said that perhaps Naomi is the greatest sufferer in Scripture, but ultimately it is our Lord Jesus The one who suffered greatly to the point that he was known as the man of sorrows. Perhaps you're you're like Orpah, as we consider these three widows. Perhaps you're giving it a shot. You're beginning the walk uh, to Jerusalem. But as soon as you find that actually, well, Naomi kind of has a point, doesn't she? Humanly speaking, if Orpah says, if I go into, 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 into Israel, into Judah, if I go there, pff, there's really no hope for me. There, no one will accept me there. Perhaps you're looking at things in this way. Following God is not a transaction. It makes no sense, if I'm being honest. I kind of understand why people don't don't embrace the gospel. Because humanly speaking, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to be a Christian. All the good things of the world. All the, the enjoyments out there. All the fullness back in Moab, Orpah said. The prospect of getting married again, the prospect of having children again, the prospect of being accepted in a society again. Oh, Moab is certainly more pleasing if you look through the eyes of pragmatism and materialism. Uh, I, I, we really cannot fault Orpa, can we? It's when your eyes are opened by the Spirit to the reality of the emptiness what seemingly is full in, in Moab, but it actually is empty. And what seemingly is empty and, and, and barren in, in, in Judah is actually fullness of joy, as we read in, the, in, in Psalm 16. It's only when those things happen that you really take a, a step in faith, like Ruth did. That you step out and you say, No, I will follow the Lord. Come what may. He will lead me home. He will show me the way. So I ask you, which of these women's best represents your life at this moment? Are you Naomi? Sorted of there, but not really. Backslidden, bitter because of the providences and the, and the circumstances that you found yourself in, far away from Judah, back in Moab? I plead with you, go back home. If you're Arpa, stay a little longer. Consider a little longer. Pray a little longer. But if you're Ruth, join me in praising our God. Our good, gracious, compassionate Lord. Because He is good. He is sovereign. He is the greatest of all. And let us worship him and praise him and thank him for his grace.